it's the next level. Do you ever fantasize about being killed? Do you ever wonder about all the different ways of dying? You know, violently. I wonder, like, what would be the most horrible way to die? Well, hello, Mr. Fancy. The following movie contains material that may not be suitable for all viewers. Your discretion is advised. Okay, aside from the fact that I tend to review a lot of older movies, I'm not really the kind of guy that lives in the past. That being said, with regard to last week's episode, there was, let's say, a factoid or two that I may have accidentally left out of the episode that I kind of felt I should include. So we're going to call this part of the, the, the segment, um, I don't know, episode 85.5, because there's like two little things I want to mention one and they're, Oh, I should say they're both in reference to David Hayter, who was the star of Guyver two dark hero. He was, you know, Sean Barker slash the Guyver. Well, aside from the fact that he was a voice actor and aside from the fact that he was the star of this, you know, last week's movie and whatnot, he also was a screenplay writer. And I forgot to mention that. And, I mean, he did screenplays for, like, movies like X-Men, X2, which was the sequel to X-Men, uh, Scorpion King, and Watchmen. He also, factoid number two, was uh, one of the producers for the horror film um, A Christmas Horror Story, the one with William Shatner when he's like the radio DJ. and It's the movie that Santa Claus, you know, goes up against Krampus and whatnot. So, yeah, for whatever reason, I skimmed past that last week when I was recording the episode, and I kind of wanted to correct that. Not that I'm one that, you know, corrects myself a lot. I know I make errors on this show, and hey, it happens, whatever. I'm not perfect, but that was something I, when I thought about it, I was like, ah, you know what, go back, make sure you give him his credit where his credit's due, because those are some pretty key titles, and he helped create them. So it was like, ah, you know what, this is going to be one of those times where I go back and kind of add something. So now that that is out of the way, it is time to welcome you back to another Studio Zero production. From the Next Level Network of Podcasts, if you want to play, I dare you to check out this week's episode of What Lurks Behind Podcast Zero. And I am your host, Postmortem Paul. And okay, as I just said, you know, I don't like to live in the past. Well, this week's movie review is actually a fan request from the past. 
Yeah, so you know how social media will do that thing where it's like, oh, here's your memories from, you know, like the past, like, you know, 20 years of your existence and whatnot, because, you know, everything is digital these days, but whatever. Um, yeah, so uh, social media memories comes up and... You know, I mentioned that this show's been around for three years now. We uh, we celebrated the three-year anniversary. Well, right after I had started the show, on my personal social media account, I had kind of put out there, you know, to my friends, I was like, what movies would you guys like me to review? And for whatever reason, there was a request that was made, and for I, I just apparently, it just whew, slipped my mind. Apparently old age is doing that to me. But anyways, <laughs> um, yeah, so a good friend of mine, Davey Cullen, had uh, requested a certain movie. And you know what? It's a it's a good movie to talk about. It was a movie that fits this show and whatnot. And yeah, <laughs> it never happened. So I'm like, okay, three years later, uh, let's do, you know, let's do this movie. This movie that's, uh, you know, got a 90s teen heartthrob from that movie about a guy who was a robot and was sent back in time but this time he wasn't sent to kill but to protect and all the teeny girls loved the kid in the movie even though he can't act and he made other movies like this movie and others but now he's not really that popular anymore but that doesn't matter because we're gonna do this movie anyway starring oh my god edward furlong along with t Ryder smith and frank langella um, yeah, this week's movie review is a movie from 1994 called Brain Scan. And which is interesting because last week's episode was a movie from 1994, so I'm sticking with the year but with a different movie altogether. Like, kind of cool. But yeah, so we're going to talk about Brain Scan this week. But before that, a few things have uh, happened recently, so let's talk about those. Specifically, last Friday on Shudder, an exclusive Valentine's event. Yeah, the, uh, what did they call it? Joe Bob put a spell on you? Uh, Valentine's special? Which I know, the, the reason why I'm bringing this up, I mean, aside from the fact that it was really awesome, it was a, it was a great event, great marathon, two films. But something kind of struck me funny, because you guys know, like, God, how many times have I done it? And it's almost like a broken record on this show where I, for whatever reason, I shit on social media. I am not a big fan of it, and you guys know that. However, here was the interesting thing about the Valentine's special from Friday night. The movies were awesome, by the way. But back to that in a second. And... Also, I'm going to add, I know that algorithms on social media play into this, but for what, because I have to mention this, for a small while, Twitter, of all fucking places on social media, like of all the platforms, Twitter was actually fun as hell. And I don't say that often. As a matter of fact, like Twitter is usually, Twitter is the last place I go to because it's just very toxic. But during... The last drive-in Valentine's special, Joe Bob put a spell on you. My whole Twitter feed was just filled with nothing but love and fun and admiration and joking and it, it, everything. For the movies, for the hosts, for the antics, um, even the special guest. 
it was it was awesome it was and it was great to be a part of like it was almost hard watching the event because at the same time i was like actually on my twitter like tweeting with people and stuff and it was, it was something that i'm not used to with social media especially not in this current age um, where everything is pretty much politics but i mean the joe bob special it featured two movies uh tammy and the t-rex uh, which stars Denise Richards and Paul Walker, and then The Love Witch, which the which the Love Witch, um, yeah, that just sounds wrong. But anyways, it's like it, I hate that which which is which, you know? Like it just it's a personal thing with me. It annoys me. Anyways, <laughs> uh, during the airing of The Love Witch. Um, Anna Biller, the director, also joined, joined Joe Bob, and that was one of the greatest interviews I've ever watched on television. It, like, it just two film scholars talking film. Oh, it was it was awesome. But I mean, during the du- the duration of the whole special, social media was fun. Not not once did I see anything about you know dick measuring or left versus right. Who's canceled who? Uh, no one got fired. No vaccine talk. No COVID talk. No politics. No bullshit. Uh, if anything, there was only one time where, and it was actually funny, is during Tammy and the T-Rex, there's supposed to be when the, the doctor is like putting the brain in the mechanical dinosaur and he's wearing his like surgical mask, but it's like on his chin. And of course, you know, there were people that were like, I've had all year where people have told me how to wear a mask and this guy's not doing it right. And it, it was funny. I mean, but but that was the thing. It was fun. It was exciting. It was enjoy. It was, you know, enjoyable. And it kind of made me realize, you know, like there's something I said a while back that I kind of have to backtrack on because Several months ago on this show, I said, you know, the whole the whole idea of the horror community was kind of a joke because there is a lot of dick measuring that goes on within the horror community. But I will say this, when it comes to Joe Bob, when it comes to The Last Drive-In, and they call themselves the Mutant Family, I'll tell you, there is a lot of love and respect in that. And no one is fighting. Like, even if people have different opinions of the movie, like... Like, The Love Witch. The Love Witch is somewhat of a polarizing film. There's some people that love it, and there's some people that absolutely hate it. But nobody was, like, being mean to each other. It was like, okay, so you like it? Well, that's cool. That's awesome. You found something in the film that you like. For the people that didn't care about it, it was like, okay, well, I can understand, you know, it's not your thing. People don't have to always be asshats to each other. They can get along. And I, I I think it's also partially because, like, I think about, like, lately, you know, the Snyder Cut of the Justice League. And we got the trailer. Myself, personally, I love it. I think this is, this is more in tune with what Zack Snyder was doing originally. I think it has that feel, that, that aesthetic to it, that... The Justice League we got that Joss Whedon kind of like, you know, chopped up and did his own thing with. I'm not saying it was a bad movie. I didn't mind the Whedon cut, but the Snyder cut is what I want. And I, I myself personally, I'm, I'm excited about this. There's a lot of people shitting on each other over this, over, over a trailer. We haven't even seen the movie yet. I know it's four hours long. I know there's a whole lot of 
different stuff in this. But my thing is, is okay. Like, for example, I have friends that did not care for Man of Steel. They didn't care for Batman v Superman. Do you honestly think you were going to like the Justice League? You already don't like the movies that came before it. What would make you think that this would be something that would appeal to you? Yet you see people going online shitting on the movie or shitting on the trailer. And it's like, but why? You already didn't like what was coming out prior to this. So why would you like this? Like, and that's what I noticed was different when dealing with like not dealing with because it was it was not something I was dealing with. I was enjoying the fuck out of it. But the whole mutant family, how they came together online. And a lot of that credit has to go to Darcy, the male girl, by the way. Because she she's on there, like, talking to as many people as she can while the event's going on. And totally makes it a fun experience. I mean, I even got two tweets from her. I was like, yay, Darcy tweeted me. Yeehaw. But, I mean, <laughs> you know, but that's the thing, like... It was just, it was such a different experience. And I was like, you know what? I have spent so much time on this show crapping on social media for one time. I'm actually going to say, no, it was fun and it can be fun. Um, for that little time, that little, you know, five hours of Joe Bob, whatever it was, five and a half hours worth. There was a bit of small hope, you know, that I had inside of me that people can be civil and they can act intelligent and have decent conversations if even for a short while not everything has to be oh fucking cancel this and cancel that that's i get that that's there and that's a thing and that's something that's going to happen but there's nothing wrong with having a little bit of fun too and i really enjoyed the special for that i I mean as not to mention like i love the movies um, the Love Witch I had never seen before, so this was my first time with this movie, and I was like, wow. I love the way this movie looks, and I love... It was a very slow-burning movie. It's two hours long. Again, kind of like what I said with the Guyver uh, Dark Hero last week. Probably a movie that could have had a few minutes shaved off of it, but I mean, overall, like I was enjoying it so much that... It- didn't really bother me and watching it with joe bob and anna biller talking really helps it <laughs> really helps um and i mean tammy and the t-rex well fuck it was the gore cut at that so it was awesome and i mean during that film darcy comes out dressed up in one of those like motorized t-rex suits you know like the velocipaster suit <laughs> and that was awesome um there was so much that was going on but it was just it was really nice to experience social media in a fun way and i was like it is possible it is possible that people can actually get along so i wanted to do that this week because like i said i know i've been pretty harsh about social media on this show to the point where it's almost like a broken record but this was one time i really had i really enjoyed myself Moving on now, a couple movies I watched recently I wanted to talk about quickly, Uh, and I'm going to do this kind of, like, I'm going to do this very quickly, actually. I'm not going to go into full depth on either of these movies, because both movies will eventually be reviews on this show. So, first off, Willy's Wonderland, the new Nick Cage flick. Um, Yeah, and I was anxiously awaiting the release of this one. Personal opinion, 
did not disappoint. I got what I wanted out of it. Uh, basically, like, Banana Splits movie versus Nick Cage. I mean, Banana Splits movie, I think, somewhat had a bit of better execution than this movie did. Uh, it, like, in terms of pacing and supporting cast. But let's be fair here. Willy's Wonderland is this. It is Nicolas Cage for an hour and a half, not saying a fucking word. <laughs> Literally, no dialogue from him. But he goes into full-on cage rage against, you know, a bunch of homicidal animatronics. You know, it's like Nick, Nick Cage walks into a Chuck E. Cheese and Chuck E. decides he wants to kill him. And Nick says, I ain't having none of that without saying a word. That's basically what this fucking movie is. That's all we need. Honestly, like the rest of the characters in the movie, like I was saying, you know, Banana Splits did a little bit better for supporting cast. But to be fair, no one cares about this supporting cast and there's no reason we should. All we want is Willy's Wonderland animatronics versus Nick Cage. And we get that. This is not meant to change your life. It is not a movie with some like great deep moral story or anything. No, it's just, it's a movie where you shut your brain off and you go, all right, Nick, go do what you do best. And he does. I mean, and it's not scary. I know there's a few chicken shits out there that are like, oh, no, not a scary movie. It's not scary. <laughs> it's just pure hilariousness. That's all it is. And it's awesome. It it works on such a great level. I've seen some critic reviews. Not that I care for critics, but I have seen some quit critic reviews where it's like, yeah, you know, this movie had potential, but it just didn't live. Fuck off. Just fuck off. Okay. Like. We fans of the genre that go into this movie, they know what they're getting. Okay. Nicholas Cage dials it up to 11 and he's fighting, you know, robots that sing happy birthday to people like, come on. It's not rocket science. Okay. Just shut up and enjoy it. <laughs> um, the other flick that I watched recently is a movie called mind warp. Uh, and I never knew this movie existed, which is really a shame because it stars Bruce Campbell and Angus Scrimm, two actors that I absolutely love and for some reason never knew about this movie until recently. Um, I've always had the movie Brain Scan on VHS, but I didn't have it on Blu-ray. And so scouring the internet, I come across, you know, this bundle Blu-ray. It's two films and one disc and it's got brain scan and mind warp and I was like alright you know what like I knew nothing of mind warp but it was a cheap disc it only cost me like 10 bucks so I was like okay ten, two movies 10 bucks can't go wrong and I'm getting brain scan on blu-ray finally and then I watched this movie called mind warp and I mean going into it all I mean like when I bought the disc I found out that Bruce Campbell and Angus Scrim were in it I'm like okay I'm sold and I knew it was like some like movie, you know, dystopia, future dystopia kind of thing. And I'm watching it and I really enjoyed it. It's a movie uh, directed by Steve Barnett. Uh, special effects are done by KMB, um, KMB effects, uh, dystopian flick from 1992 that had somewhat of like a hardware feel to it. 
uh, Richard Stanley's hardware. It kind of had sort of that feel to it. it had a very grindhousey kind of uh, grimy look to it, which I loved. Um, there was, and there were some really cool gore shots, which hold that thought for one sec. Um, I mean, it's supposed to be futuristic and eh, not very much. I mean, all in all with the time, you know, that it was released at, it's definitely worth the watch. I mentioned the gore shots and I said, hold that thought for a sec because just recently a new movie was announced. Um, the resonator miss miskatonic you um which is another lovecraft based film and i saw the trailer today and it looks like it'll be a good movie my problem with it is this whole let's film using these new high definition digital cameras and when i think about mind warp mind warp was you know 35 millimeter film it was it's it's 1992 flick it's got a grimy look to it but that's what the, the grimy grindhousey kind of look is what really helps practical effects which this movie there's some digital stuff in it but it's a very much practical effects and i'm watching this trailer today for the resonator miskatonic u and the only problem that I really have with it, like it looks like it'll be a fun movie. Absolutely. But it, you can tell it's practical effects and it's too clean, which is something that I'm noticing with a lot of like movies that also like we're releasing in 4k now or HD Blu-ray or whatever. Spookies is a good example of that where, and you're never going to make me not love spookies. But <laughs> when I watch the Blu-ray, it's like, it's almost too clear and too crisp that it ruins the effects. Um, New York Ripper. I recently revisited that after years of not watching it, uh, just because I never had them. I never felt the mood to watch it. And I mean, a movie with a killer that talks like Donald Duck. It just, <laughs> it's, it's oh, it's a fucked up movie. But my thing is, is that. I remember watching it way back when I was a teenager and, you know, the certain gore scenes in it. It's not that it, like, completely fucked me up or anything, but they were disturbing. But it's because, like, I, when I first saw that movie, it was it was a VH dub of a VH dub of a VH dub. It was like, you know, third generation dub on a VHS tape that I watched with a bunch of friends, you know, one day. And we sat there and we laughed and everything, but... The quality of the video was not good. You know, it looked almost like a snuff film, which actually added to the effect of the movie. I'm watching it now, and I watched it through Shutter, and, you know, it's all digital now, 1080p, whatever. And the scenes that used to, like, kind of make me squirm a little did nothing for me this time. And it was like, okay, one, yeah, I knew they were coming, but it really took away from that. And that's something that I've come to realize that as much as don't get me wrong some of these movies that are coming out today are absolutely brilliant you know color out of space looks gorgeous and i know that wasn't filmed on 35 millimeter film it was done using these hd digital cameras but it looked awesome so 
it's not that digital doesn't work. It's not that movies can't look great, but some of these movies, especially with the, the practical effects and whatnot, it just helps to have that old grindhouse VH, VHS dub effect to it that just makes it look all the more real. I remember it like, like Spookies. I mean, the first time I ever saw Spookies was on cable. Back at a time when we didn't have digital cable, it was, you know, it was analog. Um, I mean, it was clear, but it wasn't, you know, 4K popping out of your fucking TV clear. And it it worked, you know. It, it Having it not be a perfect picture helped those practical effects to feel so much better. And I was thinking about that because of Mind Warp, which I didn't write any of this down. This is totally off the top of my head. <laughs> but um, yeah, it just it, when I was thinking about the gore shots in, in Mind Warp and I'm like, yeah, like and then seeing that trailer today for, you know, the Resonator Miskatonic U and I'm like, I do I do miss the era of 35 millimeter film stock. I, I really do. Um and I think that was something that was even brought up during uh, Joe Bob's uh, Put a Spell on You special, you know, uh, because um, the Love Witch was filmed in 35 millimeter film stock. She did it old school when she when she made that movie and it works. It's just it's so awesome. But enough of that. It's now time to pop in the CD-ROM game and we're going to kick back with our Memrix PC and experience a virtual murder unlike any other we've ever played before. Don't worry, no one killed the dog. That would have that someone kills a dog in a movie, that's where I'm like, that's it, I'm out. No, I'm kidding. Um but yeah. Trailer timeout. We're going to do the brain scan trailer and when we return, it'll be back to 1994 we go as we immerse ourselves into the shared podcast experience known as Brain Scan with Edward Furlong and T. Ryder Smith. Back in a splat, kids. Now that I have your attention, please allow me to introduce myself. My name is Trickster. What was that film you were watching? Death, death, death. Death, death, death. Oh, Lord. Michael's seen it. Go for it, man. Done it. Played it. Look, I've played them all. And just when he thought he'd die of boredom. Brain scan. The ultimate experience in interactive terror. Never leave home without it. <laughs> You're in the game, man. You're in control. You must think like a killer. Cover up any clues. Leave no witnesses, no evidence. A challenge he can't resist. It was so real. It was sick. See, I told you, man. I told you it would blow your mind. A game he can't escape. There was a grisly murder in the quiet suburban town of Mountview today. So you did it. What was on that disc? It's not a game anymore. Hamilton and Hayden. It's real. It wasn't supposed to be real. Real, unreal. What's the difference? I didn't kill the man. I didn't even know him. You're in this now. You won't survive on your own. You started this and now you're afraid to finish it just like you're afraid of everything else. 
Frank Langella, and introducing T. Ryder Smith as the trickster. Brain scan. I can't wait to see what you do next. It's snowing outside right now, guys. Like, a lot. Wind is blowing all over the place and shit. It's gonna be fun. Because after I record this and upload it, I get to spend half my night shoveling. Great way to spend my... Last day of vacation. Which, by the way, vacation's been awesome. I have watched a shit ton of movies. You know, actually, when I think about it, like, every day was great except Sunday. Well, and Sunday wasn't bad. I mean, I did nothing. (laughs) It's always great to do nothing. But I always like watching the Daytona 500. It's just a thing, you know. I'm a NASCAR fan, but I'll admit that as the season goes on, I kind of lose interest. So I'm usually, I start off like I'm all gung-ho when the 500 comes. And then, you know, by the time they get to the second Daytona race, I'm kind of not watching as much anymore. Usually because baseball's on and you guys know I'm a huge baseball nut. Anyways, so yeah, Sunday I kind of spent most of the day waiting for them to race a race that didn't start till almost 9 o'clock at night and was supposed to start at 2.30. So, yeah. Anyways. But other than that, vacation's been great. It's been nice to just hide away and just do whatever. Watch, like, movies whenever I wanted and TV series and stuff. And did I even want... Well, I've been watching a bit of um, Eli Roth's uh, History of Horror Season 2. Not bad. It's it's. I enjoyed the the episode on body horror. That was a good one. And the one on monsters was good. The one on witches was good. My only problem with it is, you know how they'll get like these, like, you know, these like talking heads, I guess is what they call them. You know, like the, oh, this one is a film scholar and this one is a film critic and this one's a YouTube personality and whatnot. Anyways, the witches one, the the only thing that kind of killed me was it was like, you could do a drinking game to this one for how many times the words patriarchy and matriarchy came up in the episode. All these like supposed like film scholars, it's like that's their favorite word when talking about witchcraft movies. I'm like, God damn, if I only had like a bottle of whiskey and a shot glass, I'd be drunk right now because every person they interviewed had to say matriarchy and patriarchy and it was like, Okay, we get it. Like most of us that watch witchcraft movies, we know what they're about. We get the themes behind them and stuff, like but there's other words to use. There's other vocabulary. Like, there's other ways to describe these films. But anyways, whatever. It's a stupid little documentary series off of AMC that I enjoy watching because I like going, yeah, I've seen that movie. I haven't seen that movie. Actually, the witch one was the one that also made me realize to, it reminded me how many people have recommended to me to watch the autopsy of Jane Doe that I had just never gotten around to. Fuck! That movie is so fucking awesome. I almost feel bad for not watching it all this time. Like, cause wow, movie was fucking amazing. Easily nine out of 10. I say nine out of 10 because I wanted a bit more. It was like, it was done and I was like, no, don't end. But anyways, talking about everything that's not brain scan. So let's get into brain scan, right? 
Okay, so Brain Scan was released April 22nd, 1994 in North America. I thought it was kind of funny because it's listed as an American science fiction horror film. But the entirety of the film was shot in Canada, in Montreal, Quebec. And it was funny because when I'm watching this movie, you see the credits. The credits are rolling and like all the like different like, not the cast and the like, you know, the, the director and whatnot and all that. But all the people that did like, you know, like all the catering, janitorial and, you know, like the hair and costumes and all that stuff, they were all French Canadian names. And I'm like, I don't think this movie's American don't think it was filmed in the united states so as soon as like the film's done and i'm doing my research for the podcast and whatnot sure shit yeah it was filmed in montreal quebec it's a canadian horror flick it's like yeah that's awesome directed by john flynn john flynn directed 16 films um films that included rolling thunder uh, defiance from 1980 Lock Up with uh, Sylvester Stallone and Out for Justice with Steven Seagal. Those are a few of the films. Uh, John Flynn passed away at, in the year uh, 2007 at the age of 75. He, uh, from the looks of it, from what I had seen, like he started his like, you know, film career like kind of late. Like it looked like he started around like in like his like mid to late 40s. Which, to be fair, was kind of, like, inspiring for me. Because it's like, you mean I still have... There's still hope for me to be a film director one day? Like, you don't want to watch movies I make. But anyways. Uh, Brain Scan was written by Brian Owens. Uh, he wrote this and Happy Hell Night. And to do the whole, like, six degrees of separation kind of thing. Uh, Happy Hell Night... Brian Owens also directed that, and that movie featured a young Sam Rockwell, which he did Happy Hell Night shortly after he had appeared in the 1990 Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And I and I mentioned that because during my Guyver episodes, I was talking about the 1990 Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movies. So I was like, wow, it's kind of coming all full circle. The screenplay for this movie, however, was done by Andrew Kevin Walker. And he also was the writer for masterpiece gems like 8mm, Sleepy Hollow, and 7. Yeah, 7. When I saw he did 7, I was like, ooh, that was a good one. Uh, producer for this film was uh, Michel Roy, uh, French Frenchman. Uh, he also produced movies like Loaded Weapon 1 and Ed TV, uh, but he hasn't done anything in film since 1999. So I couldn't find out why. I was looking around and couldn't really find much. Uh, I think he didn't produce a lot either, though. I think he only had something like 12 titles or something like that. So he was only in film for a small bit. The musical score for Brain Scan was done by George S. Clinton. And that's not George Clinton, the funk musician. It's, it's, it's kind of funny. Last week I talked about Les Claypool III and he wasn't Les Claypool from Primus. And this time George S. Clinton is not George Clinton from, you know, George Clinton and P-Funk. Um, but anyways, George S. Clinton composed music for 98 films up to this date. 
including movies like the 1995 Mortal Kombat. Fuck you, it's an awesome movie. Hellbound with Chuck Norris. Top Dog, also with Chuck Norris. He also did all three Austin Powers movies. He did the movie Wild Things with um, Dylan. Uh, is, is Matt Dylan in that one? I think it's Matt Dylan in that one with uh, Nev Campbell and Denise Richards. And he did the movie Black Dog with Patrick Swayze. That's just to name a few. Like I said, he's done 98 films to this point. Now for our starring cast. Oh, brain scan. Uh, and there was some funny shit. I found out about the cast from, like, doing my research on this film. But I, we'll get to that. As we go further on, starting with Edward Furlong. Yes. Uh, John Connor, Terminator 2. Annoying little shit in that movie. But let's face it, you didn't watch T2 for Edward Furlong. I mean, yeah, there were some groupy teenage girls that did, but most of us were not watching T2 for Edward Furlong. But he was also in the movie American History X, which I will say is a fine fucking movie that's really hard to watch, but god damn is it good. He was also in Pet Cemetery 2. I don't hate that movie, but it's not a favorite of mine. He was in Detroit Rock City. He was in... <coughs> oh shit, all of a sudden I'm feeling sick. He was in The Crow, Wicked Prayer. And he was in Night of the Demons, the 2009 remake, which I really don't like talking about that movie very much, but I don't know. There, there's a market out there for it, though. There are people that like that movie. I'm still kind of fond of the original myself. And Todd Fennell plays Edward Furlong's character of Michael Brower. Like, he plays the younger version of him. And just quickly, Todd Fennell's done like a lot of TV work and uncredited roles, but he's done a lot of voice acting, especially for the Assassin's Creed um, series of games. He's done pretty, pretty much, I think he's been in, I think, all of them. If not, there might have been like one he wasn't in. But Which, yeah, Edward Furlong, by the way, plays Michael Brower. I don't know if I'm, I think I skipped over that part. Called him John Connor, which is pretty much what I called him during this the whole time I was watching. I'm like, shut up, John Connor. Moving on to T. Ryder Smith as the trickster. No, not the trickster from, you know, DC Comics, but this trickster's awesome. T. Ryder Smith, though, started off as a stage actor. Um, he was He was primarily, he did a lot of stage work. But he did do this movie, and he also voiced um, Sander Cohen in the Bioshock games. And he provided voice work for the animated series The Venture Brothers. I've never watched that. I just saw that he was in it, and I, I recognized the title. So I was like, well, all right, we'll mention this. Frank Langella. Is it Langella or Langella? I'm not 100% positive. I say Langella. There's been times I've said Langella as well. <laughs> kind of bounce back and forth. But I think I think he actually pronounces it Frank Langella um, as Detective Hayden. 
he played Dracula in the 1979 John Badham version of Dracula. He was also in Body of Evidence with Madonna. He was in The Ninth Gate with Johnny Depp. Uh, he was in the movie A House of D, which was a movie that David Duchovny wrote, directed, and acted in. Frank Langella, though. Why? Why do I know this name so well? Why? Oh, fuck. Maybe because he was Skeletor in the 1987 movie Masters of the Universe. And I'll tell you this. Love or hate that film. His Skeletor is fucking badass, okay? That's all I have to say about that. I know some people are like, oh, Dolph Lundgren wasn't really that great a He-Man. Whatever. I don't care. We didn't. I don't watch that movie for He-Man. I watch it for Skeletor. And fuck. Langella, like, ruled as Skeletor. It was great. I mean, he didn't have the cartoon character version going down for him, but it was still fucking badass. Moving on to... Amy Hargreaves as Kimberly. And this was her first major role. Um, like, first acting role, period. Uh, since then, she's done a lot of TV work, but she was in uh, Jeremy Solnier's uh, 2013 film, Blue, Blue Ruin. I almost said Blue Rain. Uh, Blue Ruin, um, which I highly recommend. That is a great flick. Uh, she's also in the 2017 crime horror film, Super Dark Times. Um, as a matter of fact, if you're interested in seeing Blue Ruin or Super Dark Times, they both are on Shudder that I know for sure. And I think they're also both on Tubi. I think. I could be wrong on that. but So there is a free way to, like, you can watch it for free or you can, you know, if you have a subscription to Shudder, you can watch it through that. Uh, she's most recently known though as Maggie Matheson on the TV series Homeland. Um, but yeah, a lot of TV work, but when I saw she was part of Blue Ruin, which I totally forgot, I was like, oh shit, that movie's awesome. I mean, everybody, everybody knows Green Room, which wasn't in that, but that's probably Jeremy Solnier is like probably one of his best films. Along with Monster Party. Uh, is it Monster Party? No, not Monster Party. What am I thinking of here? Fuck, I can't remember the other movie. <sighs> I hate when I do that because I'm Murder Party. That's what it was called. That one was good. You did that too. Uh, Jamie Marsh as Kyle Hilliard. He was also in the movie Evolver, which was another movie about like, you know, virtual video games and whatnot. And he was in the episode First Person Shooter from Season 7 of The X-Files, which also dealt with video games. Uh, and he was in the movie The Forsaken from 2001. And finally, Michelle Barber Barbara Peltier. Or no, Peltier, I think is how it's pronounced. I apologize if I'm butchering that. She played Stacy in this film, uh, worked in a fair amount of French-Canadian movies, uh, but she was also in the movie Twist from 2003 uh, w um, with Nick Stahl. That's pretty much it for the cast. The runtime for this movie is 96 minutes long. Rated R for strong language, violence, and some sexuality. And the budget is unknown, but the movie did manage to rake in $4.3 million worldwide gross. So that's not bad. 
Synopsis. Let's quickly get through the synopsis so I can start tearing this movie apart. When a lonely teenager orders the latest interactive video game, the high-tech wizardry penetrates his subconscious, where his darkest impulses lead him through a deadly maze of murder, deception, and desire. Pursued by a homicide detective and prodded by the trickster, he is torn between the worlds of good and evil, of reality, reality and fantasy, and ultimately of life and death. They make it sound like it's so much more intense than this movie really is. Now, I'm not saying this movie's not good. I'm just saying it's not as intense as that, that synopsis makes it sound. But anyways, we are going to call this next segment. I'm not doing notes from. I'm calling this one Brainwaves and Virtual Realities which I will start with a few notes, obviously, of like trivia and factoids, and then I'll go through the film. But basically, there's kind of cool things about this film. Like, for example, T. Ryder Smith, who plays the trickster. He's also, he's actually playing two roles in this, in this film because he was uncredited as the voice of Igor. Now, Igor is, when you watch this movie, um, Michael's uh, Edward Furlong's character, Michael, he has like this computer set up in his room and all this stuff and he can talk to his computer and it's, it's kind of like, like, um, like Siri and shit like that, where it talks back and whatnot. Well, T Ryder Smith did the voice of that automated voice on the computer. Um, apparently he did like a couple impersonations for the director, like John Flynn, whatever. And he did one of Boris Karloff and that was, the voice they went with. So that's pretty cool. Um, speaking of T Ryder Smith, he was the highlight for John Flynn. Um, he was definitely the highlight to work with, but it was interesting reading Flynn's comments about Edward Furlong because Flynn basically said the main interest for me was the trickster. The trickster was the core of the movie and what attracted me to the script. We found this stage actor T Ryder Smith to play the trickster and he was extraordinary. Edward Furlong was a 15-year-old kid who couldn't act. You had to slap him awake every morning. I don't want to get into knocking people, but I was not a big big Eddie Furlong fan. <laughs> the part where he says Edward Furlong was a 15-year-old kid who couldn't act. I couldn't help but laugh because it's like, I cannot disagree with that. And I'm not knocking Edward Furlong. He's done a lot more in his life than I have. So, I mean, it's not like I'm not sitting here like acting like I'm so much better than him. No, I'm not. But it's true. He really can't act. Like, if he, in terms of like Terminator 2, for example, if, he, if you want him to come off as a bratty kid, yeah, he does it pretty good. But. He can't seem to go much further than that in terms of his acting, at least at that age. And I mean, okay, yeah, 15-year-old kid, whatever. But sometimes you see like these eight-year-olds in these movies and they're like acting their fucking asses off. Not that I want, you know, I admit that the first time I watched it, it kind of threw me off. But Psycho Goreman, the little girl in that, as obnoxious as her character is, she's fucking acting her ass off and like doing it wonderfully and it's like yeah eddie furlong just he couldn't act but oh well, whatever i mean the worst part is is i watched this movie and his name is michael brower in the film and like i said like half the time i kept calling him john connor because it's the only role that i really remember him from aside from <laughs> god i'm feeling sick again <laughs> the crow <laughs> 
Oh, it's not a good movie, guys. I watched the bad movies, so you don't have to. Take my word for it. Do not watch The Crow, The Wicked Prayer. Do No. No. Salvation was better than Wicked Prayer. I like Salvation. It wasn't that bad. City of Angels was better than Wicked Prayer. And that's not saying much, because City of Angels was not really a good Crow movie. I mean, it was alright, but... Anyways... We'll drop that part now. Let's move on. Um, the kid, the, the kid, I say the kid that played Kyle in this movie. He was actually 27 when he played the, the role of Kyle. Must be nice to age that gracefully, right? Like, cause he, he seriously looks like he's like 16 years old and he was 27. Um, interesting little factoid, the fact, the Fangoria magazine that they're reading in this movie that it supposedly has the ad for brain scan in it, uh, was actually, uh, issue number 95 and it was, uh, published in August of 1990. Um, there's also at one point, there's, a a magazine that, um, Michael, I was about to call him John Connor again, but Michael is reading and on the cover of it, it has Arnold Schwarzenegger in, um, the predator, which I guess was a nod to Arnold Schwarzenegger and Terminator 2 because that's where Edward Furlong basically got his start. So that's kind of cool, like just when you know those little things and whatnot. There's a scene in the movie where Michael opens the refrigerator and inside you can see a box of Canadian Swanson macaroni and cheese and the the tip-off that it's Canadian is because on the box... It has English and French writing on it, which <laughs> always fucks with people. Like, especially like, like when, when people will like be distinct doing the distinction between whether uh, a Blu-ray or a DVD is Canadian or American, the U S version will only have English on it, which is kind of weird because there's a lot of Spanish speaking people in the United States. I never understood why in the States they don't have English and Spanish, but here in Canada, almost all our movies that get released always have French and English on them. So that's the tip off that the, again, another tip off in this movie that it was filmed in Canada is that the macaroni and cheese box that's in the refrigerator, it, uh, has English and French on it. Uh, in Kyle's bedroom and in Kimberly's bedroom, you see the Aerosmith poster for their Get a Grip album. Um, and the reason that it's an a, again kind of like the 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 Arnold Schwarzenegger in Predator egg. Uh, Edward Furlong was in the video for living on the edge, which was a song from get a grip. So that was kind of their way of like giving a nod to that as well. Um, I mentioned that the runtime for this was 96 minutes. However, in the UK, when they originally released it, it was 85 minutes because they cut a minute out. Uh, the scene where, uh, basically Michael is killing, for the first time and he stabs the guy several times and cuts his foot off. Yeah, that was taken out 
for the UK version. Eventually, once they released it on DVD years later, those scenes were put back in. But I guess for the VHS release, that was cut out. So now in terms of the movie, the story, the acting, all that sort of stuff, I like this movie because it's it's kind of like... It's like a it, it fucks with your head as to whether or not is it all a dream or is it real, which is interesting because I mentioned that Michael's character has a Memrix computer. If you remember the Memrix slogan way back in the day, it was "Is it live or is it Memrix?" That's what this movie kind of feels like at times. Is like you really don't know what's is it part of brain scan or is it real life or what's going on. And it's kind of cool the way it plays on that. Sort of like um, like a Nightmare on Elm Street kind of movie. But, I mean, done differently, obviously, because this is using, like, you know, like, tech. Like, you know, what they what they call it, tech wizardry, wizardry kind of thing and stuff like that. Whereas in Nightmare on Elm Street, it's people go to sleep and Freddy haunts their dreams kind of thing. Um, there is people that will say this is a dated film. Uh, perhaps, yes, maybe in some ways it is, um, especially in terms of like fashions and whatnot. Yeah, you can tell it's a nineties movie it, it has its nineties feel to it and whatnot. But the thing is, is that, and I found this with a lot of critic reviews, there's some good story writing here that gets way overlooked. Um, you gotta understand like, and the movie starts off explaining right off the bat, Michael's mother has died. Uh, she died when he was young um, through a car crash, you know, and it also explains that, you know, Michael gets injured in that process. And that's why he has a limp in this movie that at times I did notice the limp seems to disappear and then it comes back. <laughs> Goofs, right? Bloopers, whatever. Um, but his mother died when he was young. His father never seems to want to be around him because they, and you get that, you get that hint from the fact that, you know, like at one point we see the, the phone answering machine. Yes, those were a thing back in the nineties for those of you too young to remember that. But, and you hear his father saying, Oh, well work, they're having me work extra late. I'm going to be a couple days late, this and that. And he seems like he's very nonchalant about being around his son. So you get the idea that, you know, he doesn't really want to be for whatever reason, maybe he holds his son accountable for why his wife died. Who knows? Um, they never really highlight on that, but Michael also only has one real friend. That's Kyle. And the girl he's in love with, he's afraid to let her know. Um, I'd possibly he's afraid of getting hurt if she rejected him or didn't want him around. I mean, his father doesn't want him around. His mother's gone. He probably is afraid to get attached to someone. You know what I mean? So it's like he has like this obsession, this crush with the girl next door kind of thing, but can't let her know. And overall, you just get this feeling of Michael that he has no appreciation for life. He just has no desire to do anything. He just wants to be a fucktard for his whole life. Enter now the brain scan game, which has him in, you know, he, through the game, he enacts out this like serious crime of murder and, you know, cuts off the foot, you know, it's like a trophy kind of thing, whatever. Uh, he thinks it's just part of a game. He thinks it was like, it fucked with his head and he was like, wow, that was awesome. Only to find out that the crime actually happened. 
you know, he's at Kimberly's house. He's waiting to talk to her. Her parents are in the room watching the news and he sees on the news that the murder that he saw in the game actually happened. And he starts to fall down this rabbit hole and he's fall as he's following down the rabbit hole. He finds that, you know, the game is now telling him he has to kill his best friend. Eventually he has to kill the girl he loves all the while he's trying to evade the the detective that's chasing after him. And it's like this game is, you know, you got the trickster who's like, he's like this villain. He's, you know, uh, he's antagonizing Michael and he's telling Michael, you know, you got to do this. And there's one witness left. You must play part four kind of thing and all this sort of stuff. And he's like, he's pushing Michael to play this fucking game. And you get, and it's, it's kind of weird because it's like, is the trickster the bad guy? Or is he trying to teach Michael a lesson here? You know, because as the movie's going on, you're seeing that, like, Michael's starting to realize, like, hey, I don't want to kill my best friend. I don't want to kill the girl that I like. I, 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 maybe I have been approaching life all wrong. And, you know, and it's, it's kind of like at the same time as he's, like, like I said, he's following down, like, the rabbit hole kind of thing. At the same time, he's learning a lesson about life. Um, and I mean, it, it, surprisingly enough, I'm going to say this, Edward Furlong himself, I mean, John Flynn may have not liked him, but he's not bad in this movie. I wouldn't say it's the best acting I've ever seen, but he's not bad in this movie. He doesn't detract from it. Let's put it that way. Uh, the show is definitely stolen by T. Ryder Smith. Um, I mean, he's absolutely wonderful as the trickster. It just his whole character, the way he comes off, everything. And I mean, Frank Langella is like he's solid as a detective. But knowing that he's like you know a class A kind of actor, and he could have really upstaged everyone in this movie. He would have done it with ease. But I feel like he dialed it back to let the other two like take the spotlight because like he's there. He he's definitely a part of the story, but he doesn't overrun the story or anything like that. He really lets Edward Furlong and T. Ryder Smith take center stage, and they do. They especially T. Ryder Smith. Like fuck, he's amazing in this movie. He's a lot of fun, and I don't care if the movie has that dated '90s feel to it or not. You still find yourself just enjoying his performance the whole time he's on the screen. The set they used. You know, the, the, the neighborhood that they used in Montreal, it feels very suburban and quiet, which actually works perfect for the setting and the tone of this film because it's a very quiet neighborhood. It's like, you know, that that typical neighborhood that you'd be like, oh, my God, I can't believe something like this would happen. You know, this guy gets murdered and his foot is missing. And it's like this grotesque idea of, you know, this this neighborhood's been violated now and it just it it's a perfect set it works really well the soundtrack is wonderful and i'm going to say because i mentioned about les claypool the third from last episode this movie actually features a song by primus uh welcome to this welcome to the world is the or welcome to this world sorry is the song that's chosen and it's a scene with uh the trickster he's like it's like, don't you have anything good here? And he puts on Primus and he starts dancing to it and stuff. It's kind of cool. But I was just laughing at how like everything is like so tied in with like everything I talked about last week. 
Okay, so in terms of effects, special effects, not a ton of gore. Uh, the scene with the murder and the foot being cut, you know, the, the foot being cut off and whatnot. That's uh, nice. It's nice and bloody and fun and whatnot. And when we see, actually, when we see Michael in the car accident with his mother, they show the injury on his leg. Um, and the, the gore on that is quite decent. It's, it's pretty solid. Uh, the special effects for the internet, um, especially when he's like going into the game of the brain scan. Yeah, that's somewhat dated. I'm not going to lie. I mean, but then again, like it's like taking a movie like last Starfighter. you know, last Starfighter is a classic film. It is amazing. Sure. The special effects are dated as fuck, but the story is what helps it be okay that it's dated, you know? Um, and that's the same thing with this. And that you got, on top of the fact that this is clearly a story of fiction, it, it's not, it's not meant to be real in any way, shape or form. So no one should really be holding this movie accountable for its shortcomings, you know, like of what we thought online gaming would look like or something like that. You know what I mean? Like, you got to look past that, obviously. It's the message in the movie is what matters most. However, when it came to the critics and the reception of this film, critics clearly didn't get it. I mean, or they just wanted to trash on it for whatever reason. Like, because you take a look at, like, go on Rotten Tomatoes and look at the contrast of the two scores. The critic rating has it at 19% rotten. Can't stand this movie. While the audience score has it at 60% fresh. I think it's, you know, it's it's a solid flick. Roger Ebert kind of actually surprised me in the fact that he didn't hate the movie, but he could tell he didn't love it either. He basically gave it two out of four stars. So it's a 50-50 kind of deal with him. Um, in terms of his quotes about the movie, he basically said, you know, Brain Scan is interesting, not so much because of the plot, the murders, and the trickster, as it is because of its portrait of a teenage boy living at one remove from the world. The computer provides him with his interface with reality, so that, in a sense, he is the game. And I'll go a little bit further than that, is to say how Michael really is attached to his computer and his digital life. Is that really far from where we're at now. Like in that small sense, I almost feel like this movie was speaking ahead of its time because so many people do live through their computers and their devices and whatnot. And then when it comes time to like actually living in the real world, they don't know how to do it. You know what I mean? And I kind of, kind of almost got that from this. This also reminds me of the movie Trick or Treat uh, from 1986, where, you know, again, in Trick or Treat, um, I call him Skippy, <laughs> Mark Price's character, Ragman, whatever, um, is totally addicted to music. And through his love of music and the fact that music is what gets him through life, that's where Sammy Kerr came into play through the music to send Ragman off to do the things he did kind of thing in this you have Michael is uh, addicted to horror and video games. So the trickster comes through the video game 
to coerce him into doing the shit he does. So, it, I mean, it, it in terms of like, is this a story that's been done before? Eh, somewhat, obviously. But I found that, especially in terms of the technological part of it, like, you know, the idea of technology um, being like, the extension of oneself. It's like, that's kind of the world we're living in today. This movie was kind of speaking ahead of its time, which at the time critics didn't get. Um, Daniel Barnes, another critic, uh, basically said that brain scan offers a grab bag of intriguing ideas, but the pieces never fit together. Even without the clumsy execution, though no film could surmount Furlong's complete lack of charisma, energy, talent, and screen presence. I'm going to say just to further my point a little bit about what I was saying in terms of technology being the extension of oneself, I think, and God, I'm actually giving Furlong some credit here, but I think Michael's character, sure, he lacks charisma and he lacks energy, but that's because he does it through the computers in a way. Um, that said, again, he, there are times when he's very cringeworthy, but it, T. Ryder Smith basically saves this movie from being worse than it could have been. On IMDb, the movie stands at a 6.1 out of 10, with 6 and 7 both being the most common voted rankings. The podcast zero rating is as follows. No, the movie is not a perfect movie. I'm going to start off by saying that, but the pacing is great. Uh, it doesn't leave much time for the audience to become bored. No, it doesn't. Like, it's one of those movies where it's like point for point for point, beat for beat for beat. There's no there's no time that really lags. Um, it moves quickly. While most critics seem to really dislike Edward Furlong in this movie... I've already said it. It's not much of a detracting element. Um, he's not great, but then again, he never was a great actor to begin with. So whatever, but he does what he needs to do in this movie. And that's all that, that's all that needs to happen. The show itself is stolen by T Ryder Smith, who is a combination. This, and I didn't highlight this before. I'm going to highlight it now, whatever characters you can think of. Take of mixtures of characters like Alice Cooper mixed with Mick Jagger or Howie Mandel if he was in the role of suicide from Return of the Living Dead. Pee Wee Herman and David Bowie having a child that comes out like Tommy Lee Jones Two-Face in Batman Forever. Like he's that kind of bizarre and it works. He really is the reason that you watch this movie. Along with the storyline, the storyline is solid. In some ways, can be very relatable, um, especially in terms of like the you know the addiction to technology, um, you know, learning the the finer things in life, you know, to to love the people that are in your life and whatnot. Um, and that's the thing: the overall ending message of valuing the important things in life is an honest and humbling quality that clearly flies over a lot of critics heads in the in this film uh and it shouldn't have it shouldn't have it really shouldn't um the small amount of gore we get is pleasing sadly we don't get a lot of it but what's there is there and it is great um during the 90s there was um 
And I mean, I guess you could say this of all eras and all types of horror, but there was a lot of copycats in the 90s. This story seemed like at at the time it was released, it was sort of like it was in a world all its own, uh, which I think uh, has helped for it to stand the test of time. And it's now a cult classic. You look online, you you read comments from different fans, and it's like this is you know this is a movie that is a, a favorite of theirs. The per, my friend Davey who requested this, this is one of his favorite movies. Like I mean, it, it's it stood the test of time. We all remember watching it in our teens or early twenties. Those of us who saw it back in the nineties. Um, I mean, myself personally, I have it on VHS and Blu-ray. You know, I I love this. I love this movie. It's a great movie. It's not perfect, but it's solid. And it's solid enough to warrant a 7 out of 10 rating from me. I give it easily a 7 out of 10. I, w- I wouldn't go much higher than that. There is some there's some qualities about it that... Yeah. But overall, it is a fun experience. And I think it's one that if you haven't seen it... <laughs> you probably shouldn't have listened to my review because I spoiled a lot, but... On top of that, it's it's a great flick, and I think it's one that needs to be brought more to a, given more attention, more love. You know what I mean? So, seven out of ten for me. On that note, thank you for listening. Thank you for coming back for another episode of What Lurks Behind Podcast Zero. This was definitely this was a fun one to uh, to rewatch and review and. Um, to talk about and whatnot. Um, yeah, like I, I like this movie, and it, again, like it was just one of those things where, if it wasn't for social media memories, I would have totally forgot about this. That this was even requested, and just shame on me. But um, yeah, I'm so thank you, Davey, by the way, uh, for requesting it three years ago. <laughs> but. Not that I really need someone to request these things because, I mean, I can easily review them on my own, but I was just glad that when I saw that, I'm like, God, it would be a really good one to talk about. And, you know, it, it strays away from, like, the politics and the bullshit and stuff like that. It's just a fun movie, and it, we need more of that. So, I will say that... If you have someone that wants to listen to the show and you need somewhere to direct them, direct them to different streaming apps, podcast apps like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google, Podbean. Uh, Podbean, I checked it out. The show is on Podbean. Um, uh, FM Player, uh, CastBox, a whole bunch of different apps. The, The show is featured in a lot of different places. And it's also featured at its home at the nextlevelnetwork.com. Nextlevelnetwork.com slash podcast zero is the home of the show. Also, what lurks behind podcast zero.com. On social media, you can find the show at facebook.com slash what lurks behind podcast zero. It's also on Instagram at what lurks behind podcast zero and on Twitter at WLB podcast zero. And like I said, Twitter. Not going to lie, this past Friday was actually a lot of fun to interact and be a part of. So, so i got to keep it for a while. Let's put it that way. Lurker's recommendation 
I am going to say this now. Watch Willy's Wonderland. I think you guys will love it. Um, go into it realizing you're going to get what you get, okay? It's Nicolas Cage up against animatronic like, puppets, okay? that That's what the movie is. Don't go looking for, like, you know, some, like, life-altering message or anything like that. And ignore the critics. Uh, sometimes I... It, I'm not going to lie. Critics sometimes are good. I don't want to say they're always bad, but sometimes it's like, stop sniffing your own fucking farts, guys. Like, just watch a movie and enjoy it or don't enjoy it. Jeez. Move on. Closing track, I'm going with Primus. Uh, might as well do that. I think it's only fitting for the show. And episode 87. I am toying with two movies right now that I want to review. So we'll see what happens with that. I'm not going to announce them yet. Keep an eye on the social media pages, though, the accounts, because I've been at times dropping hints on there. Like BrainScan was actually hinted at earlier in the week. For those of you who might have paid attention, saw that I posted the VHS box art on there and whatnot. Sometimes I'll do that when I've got my movie figured out just start posting a few things about it without actually talking about it so episode 87 it's between two I'm I'm debating on two right now plus I have a few fan requests that are more recent (laughs) I'm not making them wait three years for it but I'll probably get into that soon so anyways thank you for tuning in I'm going to close out with Primus and Yeah, this was a lot of fun, guys, so thanks for tuning in. And on that note, it's a cut. You need to shut the fuck up! Be about the best disease, this is a bit